morning. Welcome. Glad you guys are with us this morning. Happy, uh, happy summer day to you, especially if it's your first time with us, maybe your first time in a long time. You're our welcomed guest, our special honored guest. Thanks for joining us this morning. Hey, just a quick shout out and a thanks to Rebecca. Rebecca does an amazing job with worship in this place. Uh, you know, she has 22 and a half minutes to get our focus off of all the crazy other stuff we're dealing with throughout the whole week and to realign it on what's most important. It just does an amazing job, doesn't she? So thanks so much for that whole crew, Josh and, and Will and everybody up here this morning. Thanks to you guys. Hey, before we jump into our sermon series, uh, let me give you a couple of updates on a couple of things. Uh, first is our Fixer Upper campaign. At the beginning of the summer, we came to you uh, with six needs that we had in and around the church building itself. And we asked you to raise, kind of challenged you to raise close to $170,000 to meet all these needs. And I'm excited to let you know that we've raised close to $145,000, so we're only 25 away. We're this close. We're this close. So if you have any opportunity, um, any large checks sitting in your pocket, you know, your wallet's just kind of brimming over with cash, with $100 bills, we've got the perfect opportunity, the perfect thing for you to give to. But we're this close. The end is always the hardest, right, to get over the hump and get to that point. So $25,000 next month or so, we'd love for you to help us in one way or another. From carpet downstairs in our children's wing, we're going to redo all those classrooms for our kids to fixing this roof, uh, to helping them fix the stucco outside. We've got some cool projects coming up. Help us with that if you could this, this summer. A couple of Power of One reminders. Here at West Bowles, we do something called the Power of One. It's basically just a series of seven challenges uh, designed to help us put our faith into practice. And so we have a new Memorize One verse for the month. Check that out in the bulletin. We have a new Donate One item for the month as well. Uh, this month, we're collecting $10 Starbucks gift cards. We're trying to get 120 of them so that uh, come the start of school, we can go to Columbine High School and bless the staff and the faculty over there at Columbine. We have a cool connection with that crew. We love the work that they're doing. And what says we love you and you're a great teacher more than Starbucks? We couldn't think of anything either. So that's why we decided to do that. Uh, and then also the invite one. Thanks to Jody for reminding us about the, the hoedown. Uh, you know, if you've got somebody even in your neighborhood that just moved in recently, we've got some mugs and, and gifts and stuff at the foyer. Grab a couple of those up. Take them with you. We just want you to be excited. We want you to feel as if um, you can invite people to this place and that we want to make it as easy as possible for you to do that. So grab some things, spread them out, pass them around, and uh, bring some new people into what God's doing here at this place. Uh, one other quick update. Uh, a year ago yesterday... My family and I rolled into Littleton, Colorado for the first time. And every day we've been wondering what we were thinking. It's been an amazing year, church, and we've been honored uh, to be a part of it. Thanks for loving us so well. Uh, thanks for helping us to love the Lord even better. And uh, let's say we do it again for another year or two or ten. All right? Let's keep going. So let me pray over us. Pray for this morning. We'll dive into the text. God. Thank you for uh, this place and this space. Uh, we ask that you would again realign and reorient us, God, to what is true, what is real, what is right. Uh, sometimes our compasses can, can get off throughout the week. Show us what north is. Show us the destination. Show us how to get there and just be with us this morning. Breathe your spirit into this place. Breathe your life into this place and transform us, God, from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Every once in a while we do this, so I thought it'd be fun uh, to do it this morning. A little word association game. So I'm going to throw out a certain word or phrase, and then I want you to shout out whatever other words or ideas come to mind. All right, there are no right or wrong answers here, but just remember there are women and children present. So uh, first off, let's start with this one, Chipotle. What do we think of with Chipotle? Burritos, okay. 
Somebody in the first service said Kidoba. I'm like, oh, that's just messed up. That's just messed up. How about Tom Brady? Cheater, okay. Sound like a collective boo, if you ask me. How about Miley Cyrus? Just boo, okay. Words don't even feel adequate. How about this one? Casa Bonita. See, first service booed for this one too, and I was like, what, what's up with that? You know what I think of now, after, after having learned this after first service, every time I see Casa Bonita now, I think of Ron Keller diving during high school. That was his job. We have a diver. We have a Casa Bonita diver in the midst, in the house. Now, if we could just get the monkey in the house, right, we'd have the whole, we'll put some arcades downstairs, some cheap, crappy Mexican food, and we got it covered. Okay. All right, well, this one, I don't want you to shout the answer out, but I do want you to honestly evaluate and think about what comes to mind when you see this word, intimacy. Based on the uh, Google search results that I found this week, and I don't suggest you do that when your parents are around, uh, but the first and possibly the only thing that comes to mind when most people think of this word or see this word are three little letters, S-E-X. You see, for most, intimacy equals intercourse. And this morning, I want to try to show you how incomplete that association truly is. This summer here at West Bowles, we're doing a sermon series entitled Desire. And we're taking an in-depth look. We're talking openly and honestly about the core cravings of the human heart. From devotion to love to power and greatness to intimacy, we all desperately desire to feel certain things. We all desperately desire to participate in certain things. We all desperately desire to be a part of certain things. And that's true whether you're male or female, young or old, Christian or non-Christian. You are literally driven by core desires in your heart. And the amazing thing about our God is that he doesn't say you should flee from or suppress those desires. No, he says, I gave you those desires. They're from me. They teach you more about me. And ultimately, they are given to you to draw you closer to me. And so if we take God at his word in Psalm 37, 4, or Psalm 145, 16, that he actually is the source of satisfaction to every single desire in the human heart. And I know you've probably made, never made this connection before, but he is the source of satisfaction for your desire for intimacy. Let me try to show you that this morning. Right smack dab in the middle of the Bible is a collection of Hebrew love poems that are so explicit and so erotic that even today, young Jewish boys are forbidden to read them. I anticipate all of our young boys kind of flipping open their Bible and trying to find this section of Scripture. These poems make up the book of Song of Solomon. Now, most of us wouldn't consider this book to be X-rated, but the truth is the book does in fact deal with intimacy issues in very risque and racy ways. But I don't think we need to shield our children from this material, and I don't think we should shy away from it ourselves, because in this book, and actually throughout all of Scripture, God gives us great insight into our desire for intimacy. So I've called this sermon The Awkward Sex Talk. Uh, but it's one that we need to have, and I actually think it's one that we need to have a lot more often. A little boy asked his mother where he came from. She proceeded to tell him this tall tale about a beautiful white feathered bird. The boy asked his grandmother where his mom came from. Again, he received the variation of the bird story. Outside with his neighbor, he said, you know, there hasn't been a normal birth in my family for three generations. <laughs> but when it comes to intimacy, it, it's easy to get confused, isn't it? 
It's easy to uh, misconstrue what normal really means. So in the Song of Solomon, we read this relationship. We read about a relationship between a man and a woman, and the relationship starts when they first meet, and it goes all the way until they get married. And the book goes into great detail about the complexities, the joys, the thrills of being with another person. But several times in the book and throughout the relationship, in fact, four times at each stage that they go through, the woman says, do not arouse love until the proper moment. Other translations say, do not arouse love until it so desires. That's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? We're going to talk more about this, but, but basically, the woman is telling her man that what they have together is so beautiful. What they have together is so wonderful. What they have together is so good that if they're not careful, if they take things too fast or push things too far, if they get things out of order, they're going to make a mess out of this whole relationship. Any, any country music fans out there? Anyone want to admit to it? Okay, good. Well, the country group Lady Antebellum came out a few years ago with a song that speaks directly to this. It's called Just a Kiss. This is how one of the chorus lines go. I don't want to mess this thing up. I don't want to push too far. This might be what I've been waiting for my whole life. That's a desire of our heart, isn't it? But they speak to the reality that if you're not careful, that desire can get twisted and you can experience the very dark side of it. You can want something so badly that you end up taking it out of where it belonged and ripping it apart. You can hold it so tight that you actually suffocate it to death. And I think that's what happens to a lot of us when it comes to intimacy. We push too far. We mess it all up. We, we don't understand what normal is anymore. And God wants so much more for us as it pertains to intimacy. Now, let's make sure we're all on the same page as we begin going down this road. So let's define intimacy. Dictionary.com, help us out here. Intimacy, the state of being intimate. <laughs> Don't you hate when it does that? It's like a variation of the word. It's like, <laughs> flip down. Intimate. A close, familial, affectionate, loving personal relationship with another person that's based on detailed knowledge and deep understanding. A close, familial, affectionate, loving personal relationship with another person that's based on detailed knowledge and deep understanding. Last week, we talked about our desire to be loved unconditionally. And if you missed that message, you need to go back and listen to it because there's probably no greater truth than the one we learned last week together, that God loves us with an and kind of unconditional love. The love of a mother with a screaming <laughs> child. He loves us in that way, Ash. But this week we move from love into intimacy. And although they are very similar, they're also very different. Love is the desire to be accepted and valued and deemed worthy in the eyes of another person. But intimacy is the desire to enjoy, embrace, and experience another person. And like all other desires, you can't repent of this. You can't ignore it. You can't tell me you don't feel the pull of this desire on a daily basis. You are driven by your desire for intimacy, for a close, familial, affectionate relationship with another person, a deep understanding of another person. And so now the question becomes, where will you seek satisfaction to this desire? From which well will you drink? And my Google search proved to me this, this last week that a vast majority of people assume that you'll be satisfied when you have sex. You'll be satisfied when you experience what we typically associate happens in this space. 
a bunch of guys put this together so it doesn't look that great. But, <laughs> right, we think, oh, the bedroom, the intimate things that happen in that space, the sex that happens in that space, that's where I'll find the fullest expression and form of satisfaction to my heart's deepest desire. I'm just not sure that's true, though. This is inviting, very inviting, but it doesn't answer all of our intimacy questions. Let me get real for a minute. I'm sorry if I offend anyone, but I think we've got to talk about it. Now, I think having sex with someone, it, it can be a singular expression of intimacy, but it is far from the entirety of it. Let me say that again. It can be a singular expression of intimacy, but it's far from the entirety of it. There's nothing in the definition of intimacy that explicitly involves sex. Look again at that definition with me. A detailed knowledge about another person, affection for another person, a deep understanding of another person. Now, that might include sex, but it's not primarily based on sex. Physical touch and affection might be a byproduct or a part of the intimate relationship, but it's not the product. It's not the entirety of the relationship, and that's where most people go wrong. They assume if and when you can get what happens here, then you get it all. But actually, if you only focus on what happens here, then you miss out on it all. This is not the answer to your intimacy questions. This is not where you find complete satisfaction to your desire for intimacy. Now, what I don't want you to hear me say this morning is that, that sex is bad, that your sexual urges, well, those are from the devil. Or that, you know, Christians, even after they get married, they, they should sleep in giant onesies with a lock on the top and in separate beds. You know, if onesies are your thing, cool, man, like rock the onesie, but <laughs> sex is such an amazing gift, isn't it? It's an amazing, wonderful gift from God when, when you view it as a singular expression of intimacy and not as the entirety of it. Oh, but in our world, man, sex is not just a small part of the equation, is it? It's the entire equation from start to finish. Intercourse equals intimacy, so it's the beginning, the middle, and the end of everything. The media, our peers, the silence of the church, the lies we've come to believe, they've all caused us to think that satisfaction happens through sex, period, end of story. So the more of one I can have, then the more of the other I will have. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why this has happened. Do you know why we're so sex-obsessed, so sex-crazed? Do you know why intercourse is typically the answer to your intimacy question? Single reason why, at least according to me, it's because sex sells. Sex sells. From cars to burgers to hotels to everything in between, sex sells. Let me share some stats with you to prove this to you. Uh, the Dark Knight, one of my favorite movies, came out in 2008. It grossed nearly $550 million in the United States alone. And then when it went abroad, $1 billion this movie made internationally. That's one of the top five highest grossing films of all time, the $1 billion mark. Well, in 2008, that same year, porn videos in the United States alone made $9 billion. The Dark Knight, one of the best movies, the biggest movies of all time, failed miserably in comparison to one year of U.S. porn sales. Microsoft profits in excess of $16 billion last year. ExxonMobil, the world's largest publicly traded company, top five in the top 2,000 companies on Forbes list, profits of $40 billion last year. Well, in that same year, 
porn videos internationally, sexual novelties internationally, magazines, dance clubs, pay-per-view, everything internet, $100 billion last year. It put Exxon and Microsoft to shame. In fact, $100 billion is more than the NFL, the NBA, MLB, NCAA, and NHL combined for one year. Porn makes more than all of those combined. Last year, Americans spent a million dollars on Viagra, slightly under a million on Cialis. Pills designed to enhance what happens in that space. Strip clubs in California alone bring in revenues of $1 billion. Strip clubs in the U.S., $3 billion. Strip clubs around the world, $75 billion. Condoms bring about $430 million a year in the U.S. And retailers that sell lingerie, nightgowns, shapewear, and other specialty items, they made a paltry $12 million last year. Do you get the idea? Do you see why this has happened? It's simply because sex sells. And so a lot of different people have found a lot of different ways to sell you a lot of different things. And they're getting rich off of it. They found ways to convince you that your desire for intimacy, and I think your desire for love, power, fascination, it can all be found in and through intercourse, in and through sex. So we pay to have sex, we pay to enhance our sex lives, we pay to watch sex, all because we have bought into the lie, literally, that intimacy is intercourse. But I have one little problem with all of this. Actually, I have 100 billion problems with all of this. But here's how I would describe it. If, if that is true, if, if it's true that, um, that sex equals intimacy and intercourse equals intimacy, and the more of one you have, the more of the other you have, then why are the most sex-crazed places also the most lonely, desolate, and desperate places? I mean, think about this with me. Amsterdam's red light district, Las Vegas strip clubs, even the prostitute downtown Denver, in all those situations, situations where sex runs rampant, where intercourse is commonplace, people are empty, people are broken, people are looking for more, they feel completely alone. But wait, shouldn't sex satisfy them? Not exactly. You can buy sex, you can't buy a deep understanding. You can buy porn, but you can't buy detailed knowledge. You can buy intercourse, you can't buy intimacy. In fact, you can actually be having a lot of what happens in this space and missing out on everything else. Even in a Christian marriage context, you can be having a lot of sex, and yet intimacy can be completely separate and apart from your marriage. One does not equate with the other. Yet most of us, again, have bought into the lie that when we connect ourselves to another person physically, whether it's real or fake or manipulated, that we will somehow find satisfaction to our desire for intimacy. We're really no different than the people we read about in 2 Samuel 13. We don't have time this morning to read it, but go read 2 Samuel 13 this week. A man longs for a woman physically. He wants to get her in bed so badly that as soon as he does, he says this about the whole situation. I now hate her with more passion than I wanted her before. Because why? He assumed that when he had her in this space that it would fill his heart's deepest desire, but it did the opposite. It left him even more empty so he walks away mad. She walks away completely demolished, destroyed. And that describes a lot of our lives and a lot of our world, doesn't it? And here's why. All right, little object lesson this morning. And when it comes to intimacy, you've got to be careful with object lessons, right? It's like, that, that was awkward. Okay. This, this will be awkward too. So let's, let's say that this tabletop represents your desire for intimacy. 
on this tabletop is complete satisfaction to that core longing you have for a deep knowledge and a detailed understanding of another person. This is your close, familial, affectionate connection to another person. Well, guess what? Like any good table, it has four legs. It stands on four things. What might those four things be? I wonder if Jesus ever said anything about four things. Four things that result in affection. Four ways to show love. Four ways to connect. Oh, that's right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Be intimately connected to God in four ways. And I think as, as he shows us how to connect ourselves intimately with God, he's also showing us how we can connect ourselves intimately with other people. So he says, give them your heart, your emotions, what makes you happy, what makes you sad, the things that fill you with joy, that make you laugh. Your soul is your hopes, your dreams, your fears, your aspirations, your talents, your memories, your desires. Your mind is the things that you reflect on, question, and ponder. And then your strength is the body, the way you use your energy and your talents, what you do with what you have. So the Lord says, love the Lord in four ways, and you'll experience love and intimacy with him. Love other people in and through these four things, you'll experience intimacy with them. But what happens in our world? We assume, if I'm just physical with them, if I just have sex or, or, or experience physical affection, then I will experience the depths of intimacy, right? Because one equals the other. The more of one I have, the more of the other I have. There's only one problem with this. It's just not working. I mean, this is more of a tripping hazard than it is a table of intimacy, which I don't even know what that is, but you've got you to focus on all four. You see, you don't just give someone your body, but you also, you got to have somebody who understands your mind, knows what you're thinking about, what fears you have, and those kind of things. And you got to have somebody that understands your hopes and your dreams and your soul, that knows you spiritually. And you got to have somebody that kind of knows your emotions, what makes you happy and sad. And all of a sudden, when somebody knows you on all four of those levels, it's like, whoa, this looks good. This works. See, it's four different levels. It's four different things. If you aren't connected to another person emotionally, then the one leg won't, won't really matter. If you aren't connected to another person spiritually, then the physical will never actually be that good. One doesn't make up for the others. All of them have to be present. One leg's not enough. Two legs is not enough. Three legs is not enough. Intimacy, true intimacy, the Lord says, is a deep understanding, a detailed knowledge of another person at every level possible. And here's the thing, especially youth. If a person hasn't spent the time to build up these other legs, then you don't give them this one. Like if they, if they don't care what you really think, if they don't care what you really believe, if they don't want to get to know you emotionally, they don't deserve that one. That's the physical one, just in case you forgot. <laughs> if someone doesn't invest, someone doesn't involve themselves to know you in these ways, then they don't ever deserve that one. Yet what do we typically do? We give this one first, hoping that all the rest will come as a result. But it doesn't. It just makes me mad. It doesn't work. We think that's the answer. It's a deep understanding, a detailed knowledge at every level. And if you only settle for this one, if you only give somebody this one, then that's what you're doing. You're just settling. You're not going to be satisfied. And God wants you to be satisfied. It's exactly what the Song of Solomon says. The book gives us a glimpse into this passionate relationship, this love relationship, and it uses three different words to describe the love of these two lovers. 
They first meet each other, they describe their love as raya. I have a raya for you. It's a friend love, a companion love. Think best friend love here. Then a few chapters later, Songs 2, 4, 8, 6, they have ahava for one another. It's like, ooh, ahava. The word just sounds cool. Like raya was nice, but now we have ahava. It's a deep affectionate love, a heartache love. This is a, I can't stop thinking about you, love. I want to tell you my deepest, darkest secrets, love. This isn't just romantic feelings. This is a committed type of love. So they had raya. They had the friendship. They built up one of the legs. Then they had ahava. And they moved into the commitment, love. And then from there, and then only from there, do we read about dode. Dode literally means to fondle. So you understand what that kind of love is all about. It's the physical side of love, the sexual side of love. And again, God says, that's a wonderful side of love. I designed it to stand on that leg as long as the other legs are also there. So when the woman says, do not arouse love until the proper time, guess which one she's talking about? Do not arouse dode until the proper time. We gotta keep working out our raya. We gotta be better friends. We gotta keep working out our ahava. I want to see your commitment level. I want to prove my commitment level to you. And then only after that, after our raya is so strong and our, and our ahava is so strong, then and only then will God want us to give each other the dode. So it's not a table. It's the intimacy triad, I guess, or tripod. I get that one up here. But you see how it works? There's multiple levels to this. There's multiple facets to this thing called intimacy, and we typically only think it happens right there and then. Nothing could be further from the truth. And when we separate things, when we neglect one for the others, we short-circuit the whole thing. See, coming together physically is really a picture of something that's happening or should be happening on every other level. It's exactly what Jesus said. He used the phrase, one flesh. He said, you should become so close with your spouse that you are connected on every single level possible. There's no way to separate you. And yet our world separates things out, don't they? They only focus on one. So take a, take a one-night stand or an affair as an example. Two people only experience the dode, love, and they could care less about the raya or the ahava. And then what happens after that night's over, after that experience is over, so is the relationship because there was nothing lasting there. There's nothing satisfying about that. Or even think about a, a married couple. Been married for years and years. They, they're focusing on the ahava. It's like, yeah, I'm committed to you. I signed the paperwork. I still wear the ring. But they're not really friends anymore. The raya is gone. And there's definitely no dode left. So guess what happens to that relationship? It's empty, sexless, and passionless. You see, you got to have all three or all four at the same time in perfect harmony, in perfect balance. And then and only then will you be satisfied. Reminds me of a story, I don't know why, but it does. A little boy, they, they had some puppies. Not the boy, but the family had a dog that had puppies. <laughs> Hopefully you made that connection. The mom was out of town, and so they called the mom and said, there was three girls and three boy puppies. And the mom said, well, well how did you know? He said, well, dad lifted them up, and it was printed on the back, I guess. <laughs> if intimacy were only that easy, right? If it were only just printed on the back. It actually is, though. It's printed right here. It's printed right here for us. He explains the deep things, the things that we want and hunger for so badly. He explains it right here. If we'd only trust him, if we'd only believe it. But there's good news for us this morning, for those of us that have felt the sting of cheap intimacy, for those of us that have tripped on this table or fallen off the table. There's good news for those who are struggling to satisfy this desire. 
And the news is that God wants to satisfy it. God wants to give you all you can handle and then some. And he has, he's given you two things in particular. We'll end with these this morning. He's given you two things that will fill your heart, that will fill that void. The first thing he's given you is marriage. See, and that's why we hold up and value and seek to strengthen biblical marriages. Because they are truly the space where the fullness of intimacy can be experienced and enjoyed in a godly way. They are the space where all of the loves come together. And that's why I think marriages are under such attack because they are a space, they're a symbol of something so sacred. When two people love each other physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, there's nothing like that in the world, is there? When two Christians come together and say, we want to honor God in this way, the whole world stands back and says, that's a beautiful thing. So the enemy comes in and tries to destroy it, make it an ugly thing. But we say, no, in marriage, raya and ahava and dod and heart and mind and soul and strength, they all come together. And God says, taste a little bit of heaven in this relationship. So he's given us marriage. And just, just a word real fast to those who are married. There's a chance that your marriage is a little rocky right now, that all three legs aren't there. You know why? It's because men especially, you, you, haven't, you, you haven't figured out what's going on in your wife's head in a long time. You haven't asked her what she's thinking about in a long time. Or ladies, you haven't asked your, your husband what he's struggling with, what's going on in his soul. And so maybe at first, you guys, you, you spent time with each of the four legs, but over time, you just get lazy, you get lackadaisical, so you stop investing in all four of the legs, so your marriage eventually starts to slump over. So if you're struggling right now, I was, I was meeting with a guy a couple of weeks ago, and he said, my wife and I took a 90-day challenge. We're going to be super physical with each other, but we're not going to have sex. Because I want to build up the dode part of the love, but I don't want it to always lead to sex. And in fact, I want to build up the other forms of love even more. So I want to talk to her at night. I want to pray with her at night. I want to just be with her at night. He realized that the legs had kind of become unbalanced. So just to challenge marriages, this doesn't just, oh, we got married, so now the table's set, let, let, let's eat, whatever. <laughs> right? The table can fall apart over years and time if you're not careful. So you got to keep focusing on those four. But marriage is the space. It's the icing on the cake for us. But you know what the cake is? You know what the cake for us is? Christ. Christ is the cake for us. Marriage is great. Having a spouse is amazing. But the God of the universe, he wants to be intimate with you. The God of the universe hungers to know you and be known by you. The God of the universe wants a deep understanding of you and detailed knowledge of you. And he wants you to have those for him. Think about it. If, if marriage is the only place where you can experience intimacy then Jesus kind of lost out. If this is the space where intimacy happens, this is the only space it can happen, if sex is where it's at, then Jesus never experienced intimacy. That stinks. Yet the, the Bible tells us he, he knows exactly what it's like to be us. He was tempted in every way. He desired everything that we desire. But think about this. If intimacy is only those who have a, a mate, then singles, widows, those with handicaps, those who never get married, they'll never experience intimacy. False. Intimacy is experienced a little bit in marriage, but you know where it's ultimately experienced? With your maker. Not only in marriage. The intimacy that God offers transcends all other forms. Listen to some of these passages. 1 Corinthians 8.3 in the Amplified Version. But if one loves God truly with affectionate reverence, that's interesting, that's the same word that was in our definition of intimacy, prompt obedience, 
grateful recognition of his blessings, that person is known by God and recognized as worthy of his intimacy and love. Intimacy with your maker, not just in marriage. Look at a couple more verses with me. 1 Corinthians 14, 13 from the message. So when you pray in your private prayer language, don't hoard that experience for yourself. Pray for the insight and ability to bring others into that intimacy. When you get lost in prayer, talking to the Lord, you feel like he's speaking back to you and you're just, you're just having a wonderful time with him. Guess what that is? That's an intimate moment with the Lord. That's an intimate connection with the Lord. And then 1 Corinthians 6, 16 there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical fact. As written in Scripture, the two will become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us lonelier than ever, the kind of sex that can never become one. Look at that again. Don't pursue the kind of sex that avoids intimacy. They're different things. One is not the other. The more of one you have, the more of the other you don't have. It's not how that works. One is a singular expression of the other. God wants a deep, intimate relationship with us in worship, in prayer, in obedience. We can actually be connected to him, a deep understanding, a detailed knowledge of another. Listen to how Psalm 139 puts it. You want intimacy? Listen to this. Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the depths, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there. You will be. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it so well. My frame is not hidden for you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth by you, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book are written every single one of my days. That's intimacy, Christian. That's intimacy a deep understanding and detailed knowledge of another person. God has that for you and he wants you to have that for him. And don't just take Psalm 139 as an example. Think about communion. In the act of communion, we partake of God in a mysterious way where we literally take his body and we put it inside of us. Think intimate here. Don't think sex. Think intimate. We take him and put him inside. Or how about baptism? We invite God to cover us, to clothe us, to infuse us. In that moment, we enter into Christ. Again, think intimately, not sexually. And then there's the Holy Spirit where God says, I want to be in you so bad, I'm going to send my power and my breath into you. Again, think intimately, not sexually. The truth is that intimacy with the Father is the deepest, the fullest, the most complete form of intimacy that's available to us. And on the cross, Jesus showed us all four forms of love, all three forms of love. He showed us it all, didn't he? There was a friendship love, there was a commitment love, there was a physical love, there was heart, soul, mind, strength. He said, this is what I want to have with you. And oh, by the way, this is just the beginning. For all of eternity, I think you will hear Jesus whisper, there's more. Let's go deeper. I want to get to know you better. 
and I want you to get to know me better. Wow. Guys, you just can't have that type of intimacy with anybody else. I can know Becca on a lot of different levels. I can know her in these four ways to a point, but I don't know her in Psalm 139 kind of ways. I don't know her innermost thoughts. I didn't hem her in. I don't number her days. Wherever she goes, I'm not there. So the Lord says, you want to be intimate? You desire intimacy? Then come on. Come on. It's right here. I open my hand, the Lord says, and I satisfy your desire for intimacy. So it, it doesn't really matter what you think of when you hear the word Chipotle or Tom Brady, like whatever, but it really matters what you think of when you hear the word intimacy. And I just pray that this church will not settle for the world's definition of it any longer. But instead, we will delight ourselves in the Lord. We will define it his way. And in turn, we will delight ourselves and find satisfaction to all those desires. Let me pray that over you. And we have a special song for you that I think just summarizes this perfectly. God, we thank you for this truth. And we thank you that you have laid this out for us. God, you don't shy away from physicality and physical touch and sex and intimacy. You've hardwired us for these things, God. They are good things. They are symbols and expressions of your love and your commitment to us. But Lord, the enemy has just come in and destroyed these things so much outside of marriage, in marriage, Lord, and everything in between. We just pray that we will have a healthy understanding of what it means to be intimate again. That we will see it as being so much bigger, so much deeper, so much better than just intercourse or sex. That's easy to find. That's easy to get. But intimacy, a detailed understanding, a deep knowledge of another person, God, that's hard to get. That's hard to find. Would you help us to never settle, but instead to seek you out to satisfy that desire? We pray for marriages, God. For those that are in this room, would they have a healthy balance of those four things? Would husbands commit to their wives emotionally, spiritually, mentally, as well as physically? Would wives return the favor? We pray for those who are thinking about getting married. Would they remain pure, God? Would they, would they ask and demand even that others love them with a commitment love first, with a friendship love first, and then only after that has been expressed in marriage would they understand that's when the doed physical love can come in, and that's when it's best. We've made a mess of this whole thing, God. The table is upside down, cracked in half. It's just all over the place. Would you come and straighten us out? Would you come and help us out? Would you come and show us a better way? Make it so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.